When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is the perfect story? Does it exist? Is there a tangible formula? Has the perfect story ever been told? And if so, are we simply trying to retell the story over and over? This podcast is called The Midnight Myth, and somewhere between the black of night and the break of dawn, there is a story, and it's perfect. My name is Derek Jones. And my name is Laurel Hostack. Welcome to The Midnight Myth. Back to the Midnight Myth, everybody's favorite podcast where we analyze, discuss, disseminate all things history, mythology, philosophy, and where they intersect and bleed into our popular storytelling. I am, as always, incredibly, monumentally, stupendously excited to be here with another episode this week because we are going to talk about one of my favorite, favorite television shows, and it's a new show too. Often we find ourselves going back and revisiting great works of art or TV or film, but this is something that's currently happening now that we're right in the middle of it. So without any further suspense, we will be discussing the NBC comedy, The Good Place. Yeah, yeah. So if you are not familiar with The Good Place, um, this is the Michael Shore created sitcom starring Kristen Bell and Ted Danson and an a fabulous ensemble cast. Um, and its first two seasons are on Netflix and its third season just came back for its mid season premiere. So we are rocking and rolling through the realms of the universe. Needless to say, we will be spoiling, uh, elements of seasons one, two, and three. And there are a lot of surprises in there. So if you haven't caught up or you haven't watched, make sure you do that before you listen to this podcast so that we don't spoil anything for you. Yeah, and the central premise is the main character, Eleanor, wakes up in the afterlife and she finds that she is in the good place. There is a good place to go when you die and a bad place to go when you die. She's in the good place. However, she was an immoral human being and she doesn't belong. She's paired with a moral philosopher as her soulmate. And through season one, the question is, can Eleanor learn to become a good person and be able to stay in the good place. At the conclusion of season one, we learn they're actually in the bad place, and this was a whole ruse designed to torture our four main characters, Eleanor, Chidi, Tahani, and Jason. Yep, so everything that we have learned in season one has all been a part of a huge farce to uh, innovate 
the torture that the demons of the bad place have been doing for centuries. So they're trying to have human beings torture each other. Uh, but by doing so, they've actually brought this group together, this Eleanor, Chidi, Jason, Tahani group together and cemented them together in a way that they will never, ever break apart. Uh, the reason we wanted to do this episode, other than the fact that The Good Place is one of the best things on TV right now, and it's so smart and so deep and so well-written and so cut out for the midnight myth, is that there's also a lot of conversation on the internet and in social circles about, uh, in the same way that you might say, are you a Gryffindor, a Ravenclaw, a Hufflepuff, or a Slytherin, there's a, are you a Chidi, a Tahani, a Jason, or an Eleanor? And so a lot of people are starting to define themselves by these characters because even though they're technically immoral human beings, they are so deeply endearing, so charming, and so relatable. So what we wanted to do was start to break down what it means to be a Chidi, an Eleanor, a Tahani, or a Jason. So presumably, if this goes well, this is going to be the start of a series that we'll do on The Good Place. So we'll come back to it every once in a while to explore a different character or a different facet of the universe. And tonight, we want to talk about what it means to be an Eleanor. Oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah. I'm really into it. So we've done character case studies before. Um, We've done them primarily in the Game of Thrones universe. So this is our first character case study outside of it. And the idea is we're going to discuss everything and all things Eleanor. Um, Before we fully dive in and roll up our sleeves and get to work, Laurel, there's been a lot of listeners out there that want to get in touch with us. How can they? So we are all over social media. If you want to chat with us, make sure you tweet at The Midnight Myth, or you visit us on Instagram at Midnight Myth Podcast or on Facebook. You can also head over to our website, www.midnightmyth.com, where there's a contact form. If you have any questions or any suggestions, we would love to hear from you. Also, if you haven't done so yet, head over to your favorite podcast app, wherever you're listening now. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you get the new episodes in your inbox every Monday or every Sunday evening. And uh, while you're at it, leave us a rating or a review so we can help more people find us and grow this community. And to everyone who's given us a rating and review, I don't say this enough. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Everyone that's reached out to us, who's liked a tweet, who's hit us up on Facebook. Really super appreciate you guys out there. We do this for you guys. Yeah. Because we love, we have the best listeners in the entire podcast community. Yeah. And so thank you from the bottom of my heart. All right. Let us talk Eleanor. Yeah. So the central question of the first season of The Good Place and thus the subsequent seasons is, can a bad person become a good person through the study of philosophy. Right. This is expressed when Chidi decides he's going to teach Eleanor how to become a good person so that she can secure a permanent place in the good place um, rather than being forced back into the bad place. Chidi doesn't realize while he's doing this that he is in fact in the bad place and he himself is a bad person. So he ends up being this perfect vessel for both Eleanor and subsequently us, the audience, to introduce complex and amazing, long-standing moral philosophical problems. To understand the, the idea of morality, we have to come back a little bit to what does it mean to be have moral philosophy. Philosophy emerges out of ancient Greece, 
as the system of knowledge taught among, in particular, the ancient Athenians as a way that they can organize and understand both the principles of the world and then pass them on to subsequent generations. This is where we have the formation of things like the Academy of Plato, where they could teach Platonic philosophy. The word philosophy itself means the love of wisdom. And in philosophy, there are some big tent poles that every philosopher will have to tackle. Metaphysics, which is the study of what is real. Right. How do we know what reality is? Epistemology, which mm -hmm. is the study of knowledge. knowledge. How do we know what knowledge is? How can we say we know things? Morality, which is the study of ethics, which is how can we determine whether an action, a person, or thing is good, bad, right, or wrong, and where are those lines? And lastly, you also have aesthetics, which is the study of art and beauty, what makes something beautiful. So any philosopher worth their salt is going to write on all of these principles, and you have to have a moral system. And um, that's true of whether it's Plato to Immanuel Kant to Rene Descartes right. to John Locke to Hume. You name all of the big philosophers that they do, they all have to touch on morality at some point. Yeah, so with Aristotle, it's virtue, virtue ethics, but you don't necessarily think of that as the like Aristotelian thing. But yeah, that's, that's good that you point that out because you might think of some philosophers as just moral philosophers or just metaphysical philosophers, but I do appreciate that the great ones actually touch on all of those aspects of life in the universe. Absolutely. Now, flash forward to today in the modern academic philosophical discipline, people will, will study all if you study philosophy, but they'll specialize. So the character Chidi, his specialty is morality. Yeah. So it is a perfect combination to put someone obsessed with morality so much that they are a vessel of moral knowledge, but they are completely incapable of making decisions because of that in Chidi versus Eleanor, whose defining characteristics are impulsive and selfish. Right. She's quick to act and she only acts in self-interest. So that puts these two characters right at odds. And she herself is totally resistant to learning moral philosophy. But as she starts to a learn from Chidi and learn moral philosophy, she also starts to be starts to care about others. And in that, we see the starting point of Eleanor to actually transition out of a bad person and into a good one. Yeah, so the show asks, can people change? And what's so interesting about that being the central question of it is that it also introduces an age-old uh, dramatic formula, the Four Temperament Ensemble, that we've talked about before, especially when it comes to dividing kids into Gryffindor, Hufflepuff, Slytherin, and Ravenclaw. So I am excited to talk about Eleanor and talk about this dramatic quadrangle that exists on this show because it's so age-old, because it's so archetypically bound, uh, but we do see such a range of uh, you know, drama. We see such a range of character depth and emotional intelligence, even within those archetypes. So what does it mean to be an Eleanor? If we put it in the context of the four houses of Harry Potter, what would you say she is? I mean, you want me to sort her? Yeah. Oh, um, I would say that Eleanor is like 
a like a, a moral Gryffindor. She's a Gryffindor, yeah, right? Like she's definitely got all the Gryffindor characteristics, ex- especially in the beginning, except for being a good person. Yeah, yeah. But she's got like she has loyalty. It's to herself. Right. She has bravery. She has you know the ability to say whatever the fuck is on her mind. Mm-hmm. And so there's uh you know there's a an archetype that she's bound to, but she's sort of the shadow version of. So it's interesting to look at Eleanor through that lens and be like, okay, if I'm saying are you a an Eleanor, a Chidi, a Tahani, or a, uh, a Jason, then Gryffindors are Eleanors, but Eleanor's also the worst of that kind of archetype. She is completely self-obsessed. She is completely not bound to anyone around her. So what's interesting about the good place is that it gives us a range and it gives us, you know, a, a, an emotional depth to her that is uh, usually not seen in those uh, archetypes. So we get to see the shadow, but we also get to see the triumph. Sure. Absolutely. So yeah, defining characteristics, just to sum up impulsive, selfish, brave, loyal are her like positive characteristics. Yeah. Um, but their, her negative characteristics and the start of the show definitely outweigh. She also, to me represents a particular brand of Americanism. And a critique, oh. a deep critique of, you know, pan-American values. So what do I mean by that? The idea that I, as an American adult, I can do what I want, when I want, I'm in it for me, fuck everybody else, fuck the losers and the haters, I'm going to do how I, I'm going to rock my style my way, and this sort of obsessive individualism that yeah. breeds a form of narcissism yeah. that is part of our culture in America and oftentimes gets rewarded. You know, when people are unapologetically narcissistic, we often tend to shine accolades on them. Think of like your Kanye Wests and your Donald Trumps. Right. You know, the, the people that are like, it's all about me and me and me. And Eleanor is sort of like the ugly version of that because she doesn't have the wealth, she doesn't have the fame, but she's got all of those like horrible, nasty, narcissistic impulses. Yeah. And as the show goes on, what we learn and what the truth is about a narcissistic personality disorder is that it is a built up wall in order to hide how terrible you feel about yourself. Right. You end up projecting all of this strength and all of this confidence and all of this lack of empathy for others as a way to protect yourself from actually feeling your real emotions. Well, what's one of the things that Eleanor continues to come back to so that it's almost a catchphrase? It's repeated throughout the three seasons, uh, and it's a a significant uh, phrase to the show, but I'm thinking specifically of a series of flashbacks that she has in season one where she goes back to high school, um, goes to a new school, a nerd tries to hang out with her. She says, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to hang out by myself. I don't owe you anything. You don't owe me anything. There's a flashback with her parents, and uh, she gets herself emancipated from her parents because they're awful. They got divorced, and they have both neglected her. So she gets literally legally emancipated from them and says, I don't owe you anything. You don't owe me anything. It's something that she comes back to a lot. She thinks that that fierce individuality makes her safe, uh, and it's not until she dies that she's able to, uh, you know, accept help from others and accept uh, friendship from others. She even dies because she's leaning down to pick up a bottle of Lonely Gal's margarita mix. 
Like she is in it for herself and thinks that that makes her safe and more powerful. Um, But of course, that phrase of what we owe to each other is something that the show continually comes back to through the character, Chidi especially. Uh, Eleanor seeks out philosophy. He doesn't say, I'm going to teach you to make you a better person. She says, I got to become a better person to stay in the good place. However corrupt her motivations may be, she's the one who wants to do that. And one thing that they keep coming to is a book on contractualism called What We Owe to Each Other. Turns out to be one of the things that uh, Chidi teaches a lot, what we owe to each other, how our relationships to other people, the promises that we make to them, and the feelings and care that we have for one another is what creates moral goodness. So rather than being you know, just rules that we follow in the, the realm of Immanuel Kant, like a Chidi would, just following a rule that lying is always bad, Eleanor's able to adopt a little bit of a moral relativism that is simply based on like, did my action hurt Chidi? Did my action hurt Tahani? Uh, and it takes a long time for her to get there, uh, but what she owes to other people and what other people owe to her start to make up her moral philosophy, if that makes any sense. I am totally with you because yeah. it, if we're to pin down Eleanor's character and as she grows and does become a good person, as evidenced in season two, when they all see the judge, she's the only one who passes the judge's test. Yeah. Meaning that she has, in fact, learned and become a good person and does, in fact, deserve to be in the good place because of this. We have to ask ourselves, what is her moral philosophy? Because if she's the only one that can pass the judge's test, then she's the one that's figured out how to be a good person. So ultimately, the show is telling us this is what it means to be a moral person. So what would Eleanor's moral philosophy be? She She's certainly not a deontologicalist. Absolutely not. Um, um, which would be the philosophy um, mostly attributed to Immanuel Kant, who says... You can only follow moral rules. You have to ask yourself in every action called the category. It's called the categorical imperative. We've talked about it before, but a brief recap. If you've seen the good place, you know what it means. Mm -hmm. The only thing that you can control are your choices. And so you have to ask yourself, what moral rules should I live by? And the way that you uh, filter that is you ask an action. What would happen if everyone did this action? Would morality itself end? If so, it's wrong. This is the philosophy largely adopted by Chidi. He is he is a Kantian in most times, most things. Yeah. But we see that in actual practice, you have to have some flexibility because it's not always clear what the actual rule is. It's not actually clear. So the big things, yeah, it's easy, like murder, stealing, um, cheating on your wife. Like these are the things that are like, yeah, if everybody did this, morality would really go away. How, like war, for example, easy to say that's immoral, but like uh, not giving a bum change or giving a bum change. That's right. a little harder yeah. to pin down. Well, w- would the moral universe end if I did or didn't give this person money? Right. And so we see a, re- a refutation of that. Then on the other hand, we have utilitarianism, which is, you know, do the most amount of good for the most amount of people. And this is kind of Tahani's. Right, because she's rich, right. she does a lot of charitable works, she actually helps people, but she does it all because she has this insecurity and she wants to get her parents' affection. 
So she does it all for a maligned and corrupt purpose. So that's not moral. Then we have this sort of anarchy and nihilism of yeah, Jason. Yeah, pleasure principle, yeah. You know, just <laughs> you know, follow your impulses yeah. and um, nothing really means anything, so what, it doesn't matter anyway. And then we have Eleanor. Jacksonville virtue ethics. Yep. So <laughs> Eleanor is not a, a virtue ethics in the way Aristotle is, which is you have to uh, follow good virtues right. in order to be ethical. So the more virtuous you are, the more ethical you are, the closer you are to leading a good life. So what is then Eleanor's moral philosophy if it's a rejection of all of these big tentpole philosophical ideas? I mean, that's a great question. Uh, like I said before, I do think she's moving toward a, um, a, a contractualist philosophy, but in no way a rigid one. I think that's the closest to how we might identify her. But uh, just because I think all of her progress rests on the fact that she actually formed significant bonds with other people and found that that was transformative. Um, but one of the things that I want to call attention to, there's no like name for this as a philosophy, but one of the things that is most significant about her transformation is the taking of responsibility. Uh, so throughout the first and second seasons, and even into the third season, Eleanor is tough to take responsibility for why she is the way she is. Uh, we see a couple flashbacks of her life where people ask, why are you like this? And in classic Shellstrop fashion, Eleanor lashes out when she thinks someone else is better than her. Uh, when she meets the quote-unquote real Eleanor, who's uh, you know, played by Vicky, uh, in order to show her that she's taking someone else's spot in the good place... Uh, she talks about her parents' divorce and how much it influenced the kind of person that she became. She says, quote, that trauma can explain away a lot of behavior. And then real, real Eleanor says something about how she never met her parents. She was adopted, but she went through all of this incredible pain and trauma. And then Trevor of The Bad Place says, oh, and Eleanor, what happened to you? Same thing that happens to half of all kids in America. So it's just a classic pushing off of responsibility that Eleanor does. But then by, you know, the end of season two and into season three, Eleanor started to recognize that it, it wasn't her parents' fault that she was the way she was. You know, there obviously are going to be lingering effects of trauma but she can't push that responsibility onto somebody else. She has to take responsibility for her own actions and make up for them. She has to do better. She has to try, which is an, a philosophy that she ends up adopting, a philosophy of just trying. You have to try. Uh, and so I think by becoming the character who embodies responsibility, she becomes the most equipped for you know, her, her next phase into the good place. Uh, it actually reminds me of a conversation that you and I had with a friend of ours recently about bigotry. Um, we were talking to someone about uh, how some corporate CEO is like an open bigot. And I think you said like, and it's so much worse to be an open bigot than a closet bigot. And then we were like, wait a second, is it? And we had this fascinating discussion about how being open about your shortcomings or being openly, uh, you know, mean and racist and it's, it's all awful, but at least there's a recognition 
at least there is, you know, a, you can acknowledge it in a way that people who just make microaggressions and, and do the I'm not racist but dot 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 thing don't. So taking that back to Eleanor, it's like Eleanor at least knows that she bails on people. Eleanor knows that she lashes out. So by acknowledging it, she's that much closer to actually transforming her behavior. Whereas like a Chidi or a Tahani who are convinced they're good people, but are actually actively harming everyone around them are so many steps back from her in terms of becoming a good person. Interesting and fascinating point here. Let me, let me flesh out. Yeah, that. That, was a, that was a very dense. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you just dropped and, a little bomb. But. And I thought, I thought it was very interesting. So you're connecting that step one for Eleanor is to take responsibility for her own actions. Yeah. That's her first step towards becoming a good person. Whereas the other characters aren't responsible for their actions because they're not even aware that they're harmful. Right. She's in fact, at least aware that what she's doing is wrong. And that gives her the ability to say, I'm going to be responsible for myself and responsible for these things that I did that were wrong. Yeah. Hence I can change. Right. So that is an important aspect that I think the show is saying about morality and being a good person, that the, the good person is a self-aware. Yeah. You must be aware of yourself, what you're doing and how you're doing. Even if you're a bad person, you're better off being a bad self-aware person than you are being an ignorant self-aware person. Or an ignorant bad person. Yeah. An ignorant bad person, yeah. pardon me. In other words, there is saying that ignorance is not bliss. Right. So Eleanor is ignorant in a literal sense in terms of moral philosophy. She knows nothing about right. it when the show starts, but yet she is still a bad person doing bad things. So there isn't a bliss in ignorance. You can only do moral things and you can only be moral when you're aware of yourself and have some semblance of responsibility and knowledge of your actions. Right, right. So that would be step one, I'd say. Let me ask you a, another question. Yeah. If, you, if you'll permit me. Please. That I think figures into Eleanor's development from a bad person to a good person. What is more significant? Um, the fact that she studies and learns moral philosophy or the fact that she establishes a true bond with Chidi and cares for him? It's, ab it's absolutely the second one. So I do believe that they complement one another. In order to form that bond, she has to find the thing that he is passionate about, which is moral philosophy, and have that bring them together, be the glue. And you think the show is saying that, or is that your just interpretation of it? I think the show is saying it. Okay. I think the show is saying, and I think it said it through Chidi in season three, that what we owe to each other is more important than, you know, getting your head torn apart over whether you're supposed to follow this maxim or this rule or whether you're supposed to adhere perfectly to this philosophy. I think it says that our bonds with other people are much more powerful tools to help us do good actions. Because if it's me and I'm trying to decide you know, whether or not to do this thing, I'm not going to say, well, what does Kant say about it? Or, you know, what does Aristotle say about it? I'm going to say, is it going to, you know, hurt my husband? Or like, is it going to, uh, you know, make me feel bad or make someone else feel bad? Um, so I think that for Eleanor, especially, because she also hasn't had a significant relationship with another person 
finally finding that at the same time as she's discovering what it means to be moral is what defines her actions moving forward. Because the most important thing is action. And we've seen that through Chidi, who knows all of moral philosophy, but is still not a moral person because he doesn't do moral actions. I, right? Okay, so I love where you're there. If I may, I'm going to respectfully rebut. Go for it, please. Um, so you say that it is the fact that she has the bonds with Chidi in particular and yeah. the other main characters yeah. that are the catalyst for her change. And while at the same time she's studying moral philosophy, I'm going to argue that the show is saying that you can't uncouple them. Okay, okay. Are, those two things are linked. Because if she doesn't initially trust Chidi and tell Chidi that I'm a bad person, I don't belong here, then they would never have formed the bond over moral philosophy, which was then the bond that got them to yeah, their okay, love. Yeah. So that they are linked. So that there is something special about the act of pursuing knowledge and that specialness leads one to having connections with others. In other words, and in simpler words, the mentor-mentee relationship matters. Okay. It is an important part that anyone on the journey to be a good person will need guidance. You can't do it alone. Because when Eleanor was a loner, she was a terrible human being. So as soon as she stops being a loner is when she starts her path to becoming a good human being. Yeah. What's the catalyst of that? Moral philosophy. Okay. So I would argue the show is saying that these are all wrapped up together. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter how many scenarios Michael throws at them. As long as Eleanor and Chidi learn moral philosophy together, she ends up caring about Chidi and ends up becoming a good person. And his experiment for these four humans to torture each other fails. Every, like, and he does this for, uh, I think, what, 700 years, I think, in the show? Uh, yeah, I think it's 300 years. 300 yeah. years. So for centuries. Jeremy, he, bear me. Yeah. He's figuring out different ways to try to get Chidi and Eleanor to torture each other, and it never works. Right. He's trying every hypothetical contingency to make it so that they torture each other, but they always end up close, and she always ends up knowing moral philosophy. Because those two things happen if over 300 years, they have to be, in my view, linked Okay. And, and as important to each other. Yeah, I, I like that. I see where you're coming from, absolutely. I have a question, and I, I par pardon me if this is too much of a boomerangerang. Do it, boomerangerang. So if you think the show is saying, and I'm not necessarily thinking like you are saying this, but if you think the show is saying that Eleanor has to study moral philosophy and no Chidi to be a good person, do you think the show is saying that morality is therefore not intrinsic? Like, we don't have an internal compass. We have to learn it externally. Is that too much? <laughs> that is an awesome question. And I think that is a fantastic Midnight Myth Boomerang. Let me take a minute and ponder this by repeating the question back. Can someone intrinsically be a good person? Or does someone need some form of guidance and study to become a good person? And I would submit that the show is saying you definitely need the mentor. You need someone to guide you. So what is the catalyst for, especially through the eyes of Eleanor? Eleanor needs it. And if Eleanor is the only good, true good person on the show, mm -hmm. in terms of the point system, the only one that has the capacity to completely get to the good point, good place, the show is saying that's what it means to be moral, at least in part. 
And the reason for that is because we are, in my view, born as a blank slate. Right. Okay. Tabula rasa. What does Eleanor miss? What is the thing she doesn't have in her life that makes her a terrible person? She never had good parents. Right. She never had a good education. She never had anyone care for her, so she never cared for anyone. Right? As soon as someone cares for her, even in the slightest way, which is just, I don't want you to be tortured for forever, so I'm going to teach you who Nietzsche and Aristotle were. Right. That is the thing that as soon as that happens, that she starts to learn how to become a good person. So, And I think experience kind of dictates this, at least in my life. I've needed the advice of someone smarter, better, and different than me in every phase of my life to help guide me. Now, I haven't always taken all of the advice of my mentors, but it's been incredibly impactful and important. And uh, one of my great mentors, Steve Jobs, never met him, but he did say that you can only connect the dots going backwards. Right, true. And as I go backwards and I connect this weird shape that is my life and the arrow of time as I'm going on, at every phase, there's been someone there to help guide me. And that's that's the reason I'm not a dickhead. Yeah, that's amazing. That is amazing because it is very easy to slip into being a dickhead now, without that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. And anytime I was being a dickhead, there was someone smarter, better, stronger than me. It's like, hey, you're being a dickhead. Yeah. You, know, you need to stop being a dickhead. And yeah, I'm like, wow. okay. So I think it is incredibly powerful and I think it's, it, and in particular to the character Eleanor, it is incredibly powerful. In some scenarios, she and Chidi fall in love. In some scenarios, they just become the fondest of friends. Right. But it's always about them caring for each other. It's always about them finding each other. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it makes a case for uh, not necessarily the idea of the soulmate that we have thought about, but... The idea that maybe you can be soulmates with anyone that you're thrown into a situation with, right? That we all are able to reach in and find something special about one another, no matter what walks of life we come from, no matter what country, no matter what uh, you know background, no matter what education level, we can find something really special in one another. And I think it does say that with Eleanor and Chidi in their repeated over and over again uh, encounters with one another and the differences in their relationship every time. Totally. And if we, I, I think to pin down Eleanor's moral philosophy as it stands where we're at midway through season three, I think it is very much reminiscent of the moral philosophy of Jesus of Nazareth. Wow. I really yeah. do. So Jesus taught that only you can, you have to do good works in order to be good. Yeah, deeds, not creeds. You have to go out and do things. You can't be selfish. You can't just like amass wealth. You can't just sit on your ass. It's in action in which morality and spiritual awakening, awakening is possible. And the show reinforces that with this absurd point system that every like every sing, everything you do has a moral currency and you either like charge up the good or minus down the bad in this like absurd metaphysical universe that they are but that is still about actions and the intent behind the actions and Eleanor has to do good things and in every scenario whether she is put back into her body and given a chance to live again whether she's going through these scenarios it always ends with her wanting to act yeah. Every time. 
and her wanting to do something good. And so they always say that goodness is in good action. And here in season three, when they find out there's no way for the four of them to ever get into the good place for real, Eleanor is like, well, what's the point of being a good person? Well, shouldn't we just try? So there is something really special about how she starts to shake off those uh, those sort of corrupt motivations of wanting the reward in the afterlife to just being like, we should probably just try to be good people because it's better for the world because, oh, I owe it to the people around me. Uh, so, yeah, I think there's a really uh, you know beautiful thing to appreciate in how her, her motivations change and how uh, she becomes the most selfless of the group. Absolutely. And she continues to be the one that is now. So once she passes through and becomes a good person, um, whether that's in a like literal or you know metaphoric way in the show, she's the one also pushing the rest of the group. Because in season three, on the realization that Chidi is eternally damned and there's nothing that he can do, he slips into deep nihilistic and existential yeah. despair. And peeps chili. You know, and yeah. yes, he makes peeps chili. And who drags him out of that? Eleanor. Eleanor. When the group's ready to disband and Michael is ready to go back and face the music and be like, well, this is all I learned. I'm probably going to be tortured, if not uh, retired and destroyed. My eternal life is now over. Eleanor comes in and says, no, we have to, we have to keep doing things. Yeah. Eleanor's the one that's like, you know what? I'm just going to go back to being selfish, but can't. And she tries to go back to being selfish and ends up going on this ridiculous saga to return this dude's wallet, which is hysterical oh and fun. Oh my God, it's so good. And uh, yeah, so I think I think we've pinned down her moral philosophy. Recon- reconciles with her mother. Yeah, just a really wonderful. Your past is going to form who you are, yeah. but it's not going to form your your entire future. And it's not going to cement your destiny in the world of Eleanor. In the world of Eleanor, there is free will. People can make decisions and choose to do them on their own. And when they take responsibility for those decisions and they're willing to do good actions that care for others because they care for others, she ends up becoming worthy of the good place. Yeah. Um, So I want to touch on another facet of Eleanor that I think is really unique, especially on network television, and that is... Eleanor's horniness. Would you like to talk about horny Eleanor? Let's talk about horny Eleanor. So there's a couple of things about this. And I I just, I applaud NBC. I applaud Michael Schur. I applaud Kristen Bell for her fabulous, fabulous performance. And she is so good, so likable, so funny, and so warm-hearted, even when she is trashing people. Um, She is the horniest character I think I have ever seen on TV, except for maybe Samantha Jones. But there is like, at the same time, a crudeness and a like, a um, just like warm fuzziness to her her horniness that I think is really really special. Uh, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention that this past year, uh, William Jackson Harper, who plays Cheedy, confirmed that Eleanor is quote super bi unquote, um, and how. Awesome that is for uh, representation for the LGBTQ community to have uh, out bisexual characters on television because 
erasure of bisexual people is a, a real thing. There are some people who don't believe that it's possible to be bisexual, that it's just a way station on the way to gay. Um, but it's nice to see an openly bi character on television who is like so into everything, so into everyone, she could almost be considered pansexual. Um, and wait, wait, hold on. Yeah. There are people that think bisexuals oh, yeah. aren't, that's, people are bisexual. Yeah. Like, How can you say Sexuality is a scale. Like, yeah. That's so but weird. There, I didn't know that was a thing. There are genuinely people who, who don't believe in bisexuality and it sucks, but, uh, but it's good to see these characters on television, just like giving that a voice and like being able to see that. So I appreciate it a lot. And I appreciate just how outspoken Eleanor is about how she is attracted to Tahani. She's attracted to Jason. She's attracted to Janet. She's attracted to Chidi. Like she's just like a celebration of attractiveness that in one way lampshades how hot people on TV are. And in another way is just like this sort of open hearted, very Gryffindor kind of way to be. And I got some great quotes um, from an article called do it. A love letter to the horniest woman on TV from a website called manrepeller.com, which I love. The first quote is uh, about how Eleanor has expressed her attraction to every single member of the Soul Squad at some point or another or multiple times. Uh, and quote, as the object of Eleanor's lust, these non-white people are allowed to simply exist in their hotness without attention being called to their otherness, end quote. And I found that very profound. Um, the fact that we have a four-character ensemble of mostly non-white people and a completely diverse group of folks that uh, are part of this show, and attention is rarely called to them being other, and it's never fetishized, especially um, through Eleanor's sexy gaze. Um, so I, I applaud the fact that, uh, these characters are allowed to exist on TV without, um, being, you know, reduced to, uh, the color of their skin or reduced to their background or the language that they spoke or their, uh, their nationality and just existing as hot, um, in themselves. So I appreciate Eleanor for that. I think it's re revolutionary to have a bisexual character on TV who is like, completely sexual and never slut shamed. So I just want to clap my hands for that. Yeah. I also like the aspect of her character's horniness to as a sort of an entry entryway point to how she is so human. Yeah. You know, she's so relatable. She's so human. She's completely hot for every good looking person. Every time she sees someone she, that she's attracted to, she's like, man, you're attractive and hot. So it, it celebrates human beauty. It does celebrate diversity. Yeah. And as well as it makes her so much more human. Where Chidi is so uptight, you know, that like he can't ever do anything. Right. Tahani is just a like the worst rich girl snob. Jason is just a moron. You know, here is Eleanor just going out there and celebrating being like sex and sexuality is okay and totally cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it's never seen as a flaw. Right. Like she's got a lot of flaws, but nobody ever tries to reform her for being, uh, you know, f sex forward. And I, I deeply, deeply appreciate that on television and totally. for a woman character, especially. Yep. I totally, totally agree. 
Uh, do you have anything else? Want to move to final thoughts? Yeah, let's do some final thoughts. You first. So I, as you can tell, Eleanor is one of my favorite characters on this show. Um, I find her deeply identifiable, unique on television, revolutionary, and inspiring in the fact that what seems like the worst person from the beginning of this show, the worst person you can imagine, is uh, shown over time to have an extreme depth of character and emotional intelligence um, and just this extraordinary well of uh, sensitivity. So I, I just want to shower some appreciation on The Good Place for its depictions of goodness in people and how, how diverse that can be. And the reminders that even if we've made mistakes, we can change but it starts with taking responsibility for our actions. It starts with believing in free will, even if we can't you know, prove it. If we can't prove that we have a choice, at least we make the choice uh, to do good, to do right by others, to do right by the people that we love. You know, when I think of Eleanor in reflection of where she's at, when you are in a hostile and corrupt system, such as the metaphysical afterlife of this show, or it could just be the system that you're currently living in. The thing that Eleanor teaches us on the way for all of us trying to be better people every single day is that you might not be able to reform and change the system. You may have no control over your actual fate. You may be fated for damnation. You may be fated for oblivion. You may be fated for paradise. Who knows? But what you can do is try. And sometimes that is the simplest and best philosophy out there. We could write long, lengthy lectures and novels and books and, and series on whether or not we should be more like John, John Mills and utilitarianist or whether we should be more like Aristotle and virtue ethics. But at the end of the day, you still got to go out there and live a life. And it's never going to be easy to do the right thing. It's never really in real complex problems. It's very hard. One thing that Jean-Paul Sartre, the great existentialist French philosopher, talked about in the book Existentialism and Human Emotions is that moral systems in really big problems tend to not work. Right. You really can't, like, what moral system gets you out of, do I put my, my loved one in a nursing home or have them move in with me? What's the right thing to do? There's no cookie cutter moral philosophy that's going to tell you what to do there, but you just have to try to not fuck it all up. And that's what I love about yeah. Eleanor's character. We don't get answers. We don't even get solutions, but damn it, she's going to try to do her best. And that is about as optimistic and hopeful and positive and fun thing that you can have in a network sitcom comedy on oh NBC. Oh my God, right? <laughs> How lucky are we in this world that we get moral philosophy in a complicated metaphysical comedy about you know people trying to secure a better place in heaven. Yeah. It's a great time to be alive, people. It is a great time to be alive. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this. I definitely want to come back and do some uh, character studies of the other four or the other three characters from the core Soul Squad, and maybe even touch on Michael and Janet at some point. Oh yeah, um, yeah, because uh, I I love this show. I love everything that it's saying, and I think if we look below the surface, each of these characters offers us a very rich 
very uh, amazing tapestry of information. Maybe we'll do a poll and say, hey, followers on Twitter, who would you like us to tackle next? But until then, guys, be kind. Poe Buddy's Nerfect. <laughs>